and welcome back to Pot Shot. That was a very energetic intro. Um, I don't know if we're <laughs> going to be able to keep that up through the rest of the podcast, but you know what? Let's start on a high note. I'm Alex Towles, and as always, I'm joined by Alex Collings. This is episode 25 of Pot Shot, which, if this podcast was an international player and he had 25 caps, has a pretty solid amount of caps. Isn't that like as many caps or appearances as Nabri had for us? I feel like it is. Maybe. I know that's weirdly specific knowledge to know, but I think it is. It is. So. No idea. So yeah. We, we've we matched Nabri at Arsenal. Yeah. If, if I'd made 25 <laughs> appearances for Arsenal, I'd be very happy with myself. Unfortunately, I have not. I've made 25 episodes of an Arsenal podcast. But we'll get to that. We're going to talk about the Leeds game, but not for very long because we've been very busy and so only I've watched it. Alex Collings has been too busy yeah. having a life to watch Arsenal Football Club. What a shame. Not even a life, having having a deadline for a thesis. But yeah. So I will actually be the one, I guess, doing the questions more so than you this time around. At least for the game. Yeah, at least for the game. And then we'll swap back. And I will take charge for the Q&A because we asked you for your questions over on Twitter so that we didn't have to prepare the second half of this podcast and you have done us good. So we have got some questions that we're going to go through in the back end of the podcast. Who asked those questions? What are those questions? I guess you'll have to stay tuned to find out because first we're going to talk about the Leeds game 4-1 to Arsenal at the Emirates. Alex Collings wants to know things about the game because he didn't watch it. So go ahead, ask me things. So I think the first thing that I'm interested in getting your take on is obviously we've spoken about Trossard before. I think I kind of last time I was on the pod, I wasn't on the last pod, but I have eaten a little bit of humble pie because he's turned out really well and I had big doubts. But I still have those doubts about him in the wide areas replicating what Martinelli and Saka do, for example. I don't think he can do that. That was where the initial darts came from. He's obviously doing better in central areas and in the pockets and the half spaces. But he played right wing for the first time um, versus Leeds. What did you think of the performance? What do you, How do you think he did there? Also worth saying that he played right wing next to Gabby J, who I actually thought if the two of them were going to be playing, Gabby J would be the one playing out on the right. So it was interesting that it was Trossard. But yeah, what did you think about his performance? Firstly, to talk about, like, Trossard as a whole, I feel like when he's on the left wing, he doesn't really try to be Martinelli, and he's kind of his own guy, like, because left wing is his natural position, and when he's out there, he's not, he's not as direct as Martinelli, he's a lot more floaty, if you get what I mean, like, I feel like he's more likely to... in the pockets, in the half space. Yeah, more likely to pop up in the pockets, more likely to be interlinking with the players around him. Not that Martinelli doesn't do that, but when Martinelli gets the ball, he tends to be, bang, run at the goal um, a little bit more than Trossard does on the left wing. Also, I think a big point is is how wide he's used, right? Mm. We don't really use Trossard receiving out, holding wide and trying to progress from there. Where you kind of want him receiving even in the, in you know, deeper, but also especially as in terms of attacking efficacy, kind of wants him in the final third to do that stuff. Whereas Martinelli, you can get it to him at the halfway line and he'll bring it into the final mm. third. And I think obviously that's something Saka does as well in terms of his progressive carrying, which is not really what you have from Tossard. Like, as you said, it's more socio-effective, more like linking up and actually just that close like control creating that space. But it's a very different role on the left from what 
Martinelli gives on the left and even from what Saka gives on the right. Yeah, that, that's the big thing, isn't it? Is wherever you play Trosser, he's not going to be the guy to get the ball into the final third. He's going to be the guy to stitch things together once you get there. Uh, it feels like... Obviously, Jesus also does that. So when he plays through the middle, he feels kind of like a B-Tech Jesus. So we've talked about this before, about mm-hmm. how he's like... He's our best facsimile for Jesus in the squad, and he does a good job of that, even if he's not as good as Jesus, because there aren't many people in the world who are as good at Jesus as the things that he does. <laughs> um, the thing is, when he's over on the right-hand side, yeah, he, he wasn't super comfortable, especially in the first half. Like It feels like he was trying to be more of a facsimile of Saka, in the same way that he's a facsimile of Jesus, like, you know that... I'll cu- I'm going to call it a horizontal run. The run directly across the back line yes. that Saka makes. Where you often have Ben White playing that pass in. Yeah, yes. playing that ball into him. Trossard tried to make that run a couple times in the first half, and it didn't really work. Um, like, he'd get the ball and then get run into trouble. Or he'd have the ball and, like try and go round the fullback. Julia Firpo did quite a good job of dealing with him, especially in the first half. Like, tried to go round him and then ended up just playing the ball backwards and keeping it safe. Like, he wasn't as... He wasn't as dynamic as Saka. He wasn't making the same chances that Saka would over on that side. Um, and I think... Firstly, I think it just makes makes you appreciate how good Saka is. If yeah. you know, because like we've been talking about how Trossard's like a pretty good winger, and he is a pretty good winger. He's a pretty good player in our front line, but like the drop off from Saka to Trossard was pretty big, and I don't think that's a knock on Trossard so much as it is Saka's elite. Like Saka's so good, and obviously we want someone who's closer to that inability for rotating with Saka, but yeah. Like, you can't knock Trossard too much for not being the best right winger in the league. I find it interesting that you say that he kind of... You said facsimile a lot. That's a really great word. But basically that you said he tried to play, like, the sucker role out on the right. Because remember when he first joined? I feel like the first appearance or two, he was trying... Arteta had him trying to really hold the width. And as good as Trossard is close control, dribbling, and all of that stuff, right... He's actually not great 1v1 because he can't really lose his man with a burst. Mm. He just has, like, the control to keep the ball, right? Which is fine. But obviously, out wide, you do want that danger, that ability to square up your man and burst past him. It's interesting that Arteta then saw it failing on the left and then maybe that first half or so. I know where he ultimately got his assist from was you know, quite close inside the box as he's normally getting his assists from that sort of area where he really thrives, right? It's all about close control there. It's interesting that maybe in the first half, I heard it wasn't really working well. From what the impression I got from the timeline was that Trossard wasn't, was struggling out wide. It's interesting that Arteta again tried him maybe holding that with that right. Yeah. Um, so Trossard's best period of the game, the whole team's best period of the game, and I this isn't controversial to say, was from halftime to about 60 minutes when um, Jesus and Partey came off. Like, that 15 minutes, first 15 minutes of the second half, we, we were really, really good. 
it feels kind of stating the obvious to say because that's the period of the game in which we scored two goals. But hey, it's true. Um, <laughs> the thing about Trossard's performance that changed then is that he was dovetailing with Jesus a lot more in that time. We know that Jesus is so good at like dropping out and picking up other positions in our front line that aren't just the central one. And that's what Trossard's really good at as well when he plays through the middle. And he, they wasn't really doing it in the first half. Well, Jesus was, but he wasn't coming out for Trossard specifically. Yeah. Like, it happened once, maybe twice. Um, it happened two or three times in the space of 15 minutes in the start of the second half. And that's where Jesus' second goal came from, where Trossard's assist came from. Jesus drifted out wide to try and get the ball. Trossard replaced him in the middle. Uh, the ball came through to Trossard, who ran out into the half space. Jesus made a wonderful, wonderfully timed late run into the box. Trossard plays it back. Bang. Goal. And if Trossard is to start playing on the right wing more, I think that's where he'll be most dangerous. Yeah. Is providing that fluidity with Jesus dovetailing with him a lot more and getting that interlinking play going because it just didn't really get going at all in the first half whereas it was a lot more in the second that's why i'm even surprised that it wasn't like nominally obviously there's so much fluidity especially when you have guys like trussell and um gabby j playing but it's it's why it surprised me that gabby j wasn't the guy outright because he can do that holding wide if he needs to he did it often on the right for city um and yeah because i mean when trussell comes narrow Gabi J kind of still stays narrowed or is going outwards. You do maybe not make the best use of the, what is it, the lateral space, right? Um, which is interesting to me. But anyways, I think we've spent a lot of time here. Maybe let's move to... Uh, but before we do, I, I just want to say I do think Arteta was right in playing Jesus through the middle. I think that just just in terms of the roles we had available to us on the pitch... It makes sense to have our best player doing the thing that he's best at rather than trying to accommodate for Trossard. Because even if I you put Trossard in the middle, point. then having Jesus out on the right side, he's not going to be as effective. Uh, and Trossard's not going to be as effective as Jesus would be through the middle. So I think we would have been worse off as a whole with Jesus out on the right permanently than we were with Jesus through the middle. Obviously, I would have liked to see more fluidity throughout the first half rather than just in the first 15 minutes of the second half. But I think... Yeah, we wouldn't have seen that with Trossard in the in the middle and Jesus on the right. I didn't mean um, Gabby J kind of holding position outright like as much as Saka would be, but I do take your point, I, and I think I agree. I think also immediately what Gabby J brings to the side is now we can go a bit more direct because as we've spoken about before, despite what being like one seven five centimeters, maybe that guy is actually really good at just you can play the ball into him as if he's almost a target man, right? And I think mm. that's what we what we've lacked since his injury. And I did look through, you know, the clips. I looked through the Gabby J comms, basically, because I miss him. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, there was actually a great tweet where he had that quote afterwards where he's like, oh, I'm so happy to have, like, scored um, finally because I know, you know, when your striker goes on such a long, like, drought, like, most fans will give up, but I'm happy that the fans, like, stayed with me. And there was some great tweet. I think we'll try and link it afterwards. I can't remember who said it, but he was like, brother, we don't really care about the goals. Like, you've made me fall in love with football again. And I just think that's perfectly, like, exactly what Gabby J has done. Was that me. Abdul? I feel like it might have no, been Abdul. It no, wasn't, it wasn't Abdul. It, was, it wasn't someone that I even 
follow. Oh, no, I, the, it rang a bell, I swear. Anyway, that might have just been the huge retweeting it and remembering that. <laughs> I was retweeted. I did retweet it. But yeah, no, no. So I do take your point, And I think he, he does add a lot back there. The other thing I'm interested in, right, mm-hmm. is holding. And how did he play? Obviously... There's a big difference now bringing holding in. It's not just this drop in individual quality compared to Saliba, but it now demands a reshuffle in responsibilities a bit, particularly between the the centre-backs, because when it's Gabriel and Saliba, there's a clear like sweeper and stepper role. Stepper, I think I'm taking that from FM, but basically the guy who's aggressive steps up, right? Saliba covers... Everything behind. In fact, our whole team really steps up and Saliba's the one who has to judge whether he'll step up or whether he'll sweep behind. Often, he has the mobility to kind of step and then recover. We don't have another sweeper-type centre-back in the squad. Don't know enough about Kivio's inclinations, but it's never sounded like a possibility to play two left-footed centre-backs next to each other anyways, right? Um, And especially with Tommy out of the team, which meant that Ben White was always likely to play right back and also himself not the best sort of sweeping centre-back, right? What I'm basically getting at is there are no sweeping centre-backs naturally, so now Gabriel has to kind of take that role. I assume he took that role, and Holding was the guy who was maybe... So Gabriel nope. was also stepping up? No, nope. Holding was the sweeper. Really? Holding was the That's sweeper. interesting. Yeah. Uh, That's so very interesting. A, a privilege that Collings and I have is that we have friends who can get us tactical cam footage of the games, and I'm aware this isn't something that a lot of people can get. So I can't just say go and watch the game footage and you'll see this because I don't think you'll be able to see it on the traditional broadcast footage. But like, Holling was a very traditional sweeper almost. Like when we had Leeds pinned, and uh, he was. By a good five, ten yards, our deepest player who wasn't Ramsdale. Like, we had, a, like, the back line ahead of him, and then behind the back line, behind Gabriel, Partey, Holding was stood a good few yards back, like, more towards the halfway line when everyone else was pinning leads back way further up the pitch. Okay, so that's one thing I will say is it makes sense that he has a bit more space between him and the furthest pressing players because Holding's actually fine in possession. He's not good in possession under pressure. Um, so that makes sense. But does that mean then that he also was the guy responsible for sweeping? Because one thing about Holding is it's never at any point in his Arsenal career, at least to me, has stood out that he'd be particularly good at that role, especially protecting difference just because he, he really likes to step up. I mean, I think... We can even speak about how much he struggled last season against Spurs. Remember that game where Son Mm. basically probably should have been red carded within 30 minutes. It's because he gets really anxious kind of defending space. Part of the reason, I think, that's at least my interpretation, alongside his natural aggressiveness that he actually does just step into challenges. And you're saying that that wasn't really a thing, that he was actually more so than Gabriel. He was the guy who was responsible for what is interesting. Definitely. And I think... He was further back than I've seen any player be in our defensive line. Like, it was, mm. it, it wasn't like a 2-3 or a 3-2. It was one and then two or three and then everyone else in the rest shape. So I think, I, I think that's kind of 
a nod that's not the right word but a nod to the fact that holding isn't as good at it as Saliba they're giving him a couple mm. extra yards head start if you will to make sure that he can actually get back and defend those transitions I think Leeds in the first half especially but throughout the game were like they didn't really make much in transitions in like full transitions if you know what I mean mm. like they were very good at when we were already in our own third getting through our lines and they got a couple decent enough chances not massive chances but decent enough chances like playing quick one twos and getting into the box that way like playing through our lines i think that was that that was a little bit nervish nervy for me like i don't like how easily they played through us and i think it was quite impressive um but they never really got us properly on the break. There wasn't, like, a transition where one of them ended up one-on-one with Ramsdale from, say, 30 yards, like that Rashford chance against us in the first game against United, for example. Okay. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. That's interesting to hear. I think also, I feel like this is slightly off-topic, but this is going back to can't even remember which game, but I think it was actually Leicester where we noticed Saliba holding and sitting on the ball a lot more and sitting deeper, almost wanting to invite pressure onto him, which is a bit like, seems Arteta's like getting influences from De Zerbi, right? And I spoke about this with Seb on the pod after mm-hmm. that, actually, where you were missing an action, actually. Um, but it, it's interesting... I want to watch the footage back before having a more confident take on this, but it kind of sounds like even holding sitting so deep is kind of inviting because there is an opportunity for the team to exploit, right? For Leeds to have tried to exploit him as the weak link. But maybe there are definite ideas about how to get around that in terms of having a little bit. I know it's not quite the same as Deserbi, but it feels like... No, I I, I just... I'm not massively confident in saying this. It's like someone might be listening to this and thinking, Towels, you're chatting bollocks. But I <laughs> don't remember like holding like us deliberately drawing out the Leeds press in any major way. Um That's fair, that's fair. Like that. The Leeds press itself was also quite conservative, no? I would assume a little yeah, bit more so. A little bit. Like expect, especially compared to what they were like before. Well, like, of course. <laughs> yeah. But like, I, they're not, like, massively so. To be honest, I wasn't really watching Leeds out of possession so much. When we had the ball in settled possession, I was trying to, like, keep more of an eye on what Trossard was doing because, that's obviously, fair. that's the thing that everyone wants to know about. So There's I'm only not, so much. Yeah, I'm less confident um, answering these questions, but, yeah. No stress. I think you've done a good job. I have a better sense of the game itself. Um, but I do think, basically, that still bears out in what I was saying um, the difference is that Saliba is really comfortable pulling people onto the ball. So Saliba will take these negative touches, really draw pressure onto himself, where teams think, okay, he is really good at breaking out of pressure, but he's doing this and this and this. Like, this is still an opportunity. Then they try push onto him, and then he plays through it, right? Mm-hmm. The difference is with holding, it's that teams are already like, this guy isn't that good under pressure. We can push onto him. Mm-hmm. And we probably have holding being a little bit safe. He's not allowing people to come close to him before he makes the pass. But just the fact that he is there, he's a trigger. He's a little bit deeper to be safe about it because, you know, Ateta, similarly like what he said about, um, he's not quite pep levels of conservatism, but there is a there is this thing you never want to take any chances with creating 
with allowing chances for the opposition team. So, part two, question time. We asked over on Twitter for your questions, and boy, have you given us questions. We're going to start <laughs> with the question from Sav. He asks, Eddie is great. Can he become more Jesus analogous over time? Does he need to? Is it hard for him to feature regularly if not? And my, like, off the top of the head, no prep, no thoughts, answers to those three questions are... Not really, not really, not really? What do you think? My thing with Eddie is that over the years he's developed so much more. If you asked me two years ago that Eddie would be the player he is now, <laughs> I don't think I would have said yes at all. And I, I'm, I've been a fan of Eddie for a while, but he keeps proving me wrong in terms of how much he has developed. Having said that, I do feel like now we're kind of reaching... And I say this fully willing to be, you know, I feel like he develops every preseason. He takes another massive jump. So by the time, you know, preseason of 28, he's going to be more complete than Benzema. But <laughs> but I feel like now with the physical development, um, and there are some bigger problems. Like I, feel like I feel like his first touch can be a little bit like erratic in a sense that you don't really want from a striker because receiving in the areas that they receive it's really important to get that first touch right something that jesus does consistently something that trossard does consistently right um and there are, there are other small problems where i feel like those aren't really easy things to really develop um and alongside that physical development which did take him up a lot made a much better hold up play made him much better on the turn um moving you know his body with the ball without having to take the ball and then try move around with it has seen that improvement a lot, but now I kind of feel like we're reaching that point where he won't become too much more rounded than he is. And I'm saying that with the belief that he's genuinely quite a rounded striker at this point, still a, a classic nine, but more rounded than I ever thought he would be. So that's the first thing about how, will he become more Jesus and Alegas. And the other part of that is also Jesus is a really, really, really rounded player. So <laughs> getting close to that is really, really hard, right? So, yeah, it would be almost unfair to expect him to become too much more closer to that mold. Um, whether he needs to, it's um, it's an interesting question that I'm not too sure I know the answer to right now. It really depends on where Arteta wants to take the squad because we've seen with Arteta, I think, that he's a fan of like-for-like like in certain areas and then he is a fan of mixed up profiles in other areas. And he's actually, I think, more so a fan of having alternative options than just like for like. But whether Eddie has got the qualities that he wants as that secondary striker, I'm not so sure right now. Um, and I think it's also maybe a fluid thing where basically the profile Arteta and Edu could decide in the summer Actually, we don't want to go with this way with the type of striker that he is. We want something else. Um, or he could still find himself being the perfect striker that Arteta wants. So I'm not so sure. Is it hard for him to re feature regularly? If not, I think absolutely. Um, I think it's going to be hard for Eddie to actually find a place back in the squad. You know, in the first team this season, right? Mm. Given given now Trossard's a really good option as that back backup center forward and having that fluidity is really important to the system currently. So 
depends on how much he is as a good alternative option. I feel like I'm almost contradicting myself here, but maybe Arteta is doesn't really like changing things off the bench so much as from the start. Um, so yeah, and I mean we've seen that with Eddie beforehand. Whether he's changed his mind on that, we'll see. But but I think it is an issue for him to feature regularly, potentially at least until the end of the season. I'm gonna draw a comparison here that people may take as Eddie slander. So I'm gonna hold my hands up and apologize if this is taken harsher than I intend it. But I think Maz is gonna kill my, you. <laughs> my from here on out for the next three to four years, I think my best case for what Eddie is is quite similar to what Divock Origi was for that Liverpool side through those five years. I could see your face. You can, you're, you're already thinking, oh man, he's slandering Eddie. I'm doing it. No. <laughs> I, I, I mean that in the best possible way, as like an impact sub who can come on and give us a little bit more goal threat if needed, uh, and someone who's a more than capable option to come in as rotation without being a nailed-on starter. Did Divock Origi feature regularly for that Liverpool side through the five years or whatever he was their second-choice striker? Probably not, you'd say. And I'd say the same answer for Eddie, like Eddie's future. Would he, would he be featuring regularly, ideally? Probably not. But I don't think that's because he's bad. I think that's because he'd be his best place in our squad as an alternative option, as an impact sub, as someone to come on like either come on and make a difference or like be an alternative option to start with. So here's the thing. I don't, I don't actually agree with the first part, right? I think one of the things about Eddie is he's really good coming off the bench and making an impact immediately. We've seen that time and time again. I mean, his debut basically came off the bench and scored immediately. Right. Um, and that's always been the case. I think whether he would be that player who plays about as often as Origi did for Liverpool, whether he'd be that for us, I just don't see Eddie ever accepting that as a role. Um, yeah. And I also think I also think Eddie is a more consistent and better player than Origi. One of the problems with yes. Origi is that he was a big difference maker, but he was not a consistent player. And for big teams, that's a problem from the start. You can kind of gamble with them off the bench. But you want your striker to be a reliable performer from the start, which I don't think Origi ever was or ever really has been in his career. And yeah, that's Eddie the thing. Is that. like, I do think Eddie is better than Origi. Yes, <laughs> but like I, I, I feel like that type of squad role is where he best fits in. If it's yeah. even, even if it's like maybe like more reliable, more consistent minutes, um, especially like especially if we're going to be rotating Jesus. But we'll get on to why he may not get those minutes in just a second. Uh, but yeah, like it would, would he accept that? Probably not. But that's where I think if he's going to be, if he has a long-term future at Arsenal, I think it's some kind of better Origi. I think also the way I was answering questions about, is it hard for him to feature regularly and stuff? A lot of this does depend on Arteta's future plans tactically, because mm. I think he's got huge qualities in certain ways, but I don't, I don't see us moving at least in the medium term, by that I mean next two or so seasons, I don't see us moving to a system 
that accommodates Eddie in that way, and it's whether he's still with us after that. Mm. So yeah, and I don't think I don't think he's the type. Of, I think he is a player who will make a decision on his future. Maybe he'll he'll still be here next season. Um, you know, with Champions League rotation and stuff, there could be a lot more opportunity for him to play big minutes either in the Premier League, either in the Champions League, right? Which are the minutes that he is in search of. But here's the thing. Eddie Nketiah is not the only up-and-coming homegrown striker we've got at Arsenal. Foreman <laughs> Balogun has been banging in the goals at Ram over in France, France. and Mash Mashir has asked, Balogun and Nketiah, who do we keep? And this, I think, is the crux of the question <laughs> of does Eddie feature regularly? Because, like, we can't, we can't really have a Balogun and Eddie and Jesus. Like, that doesn't work. And Trussa, you can't give all. And Trussa, yeah. I think that's also Trussa's best yeah, position like, for you us. You can't so. give all of them the minutes that they want, the minutes that they need. So, it's a really, really tough one. I, I, I think. For me, I'll answer this one first, why not? I think that the best case scenario for Balogun is in five years' time, like, I'm looking a long way away, I think in five years' time, Balogun could be a good enough striker to just step in when Gabriel, Gabriel Jesus starts to age out, be 30, 31, 32, and become our starting striker. I think he might have that in him. Um, whether he sticks around long enough to get there... I mean, he'll be 26 we give him... at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but Jesus is 26 now. Yeah. Like, Happy birthday to Jesus for yesterday. Huh? So, <laughs> yeah. like, that, that, that's the thing. Like, in five years' time... So, at the, at the moment, Gabby Jesus is 26, and... Balogun's 21. In five years' time, Jesus will be 31, and Balogun will be 26. And Balogun will be, in theory, at his peak and wanting to start games. And hopefully, like, I, I think he could be good enough to do that at Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, I will say I don't think, like, the five-year plan is quite how these promises work. Oh, no, of course sense. not. That, 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 yeah. That's where the problems come in, right? But I think, <laughs> like, yeah. he, he's going to... To be able to get to that level, he's gonna need consistent minutes and to keep like to keep getting better and improving and slowly get to that level. And if we've got Gabby Jesus's prime over the next five years, can we give him that? I mean, the this is the point of having a top level squad is you want that level of competitiveness, um, and you want a player who can displace and especially this is what Arteta's always been about. He wants players that can come in and displace the players that are starting. I mean, even Gabby J coming back, Arteta said, well, now it's his job to win it back. And we both said, you know, it's pretty clear, like, Gabby J is fucking great. So he will probably win his place yeah. back pretty quickly. <laughs> but, but I mean, the the intention there and, the, and what Arteta was speaking about, this is core to his whole philosophy. So I think, I think same thing that Arteta probably said to Nketiah when he signed is that you can be the number one if you prove that you're good enough um, soon. I don't think there is ever that discussion like, Oh yeah, like it'll take five years, but then you will. And I don't think guys like no. Eddie or Balogun, because they probably think, okay, I can go to a team, you know, a mid-table Premier League team, or or maybe like one of the better French 
German Italian teams in the meantime and then come back and play for either Arsenal again or one of their rivals in the Premier League. So I think I think that's generally how these elite players think, right? And they back themselves. I'm going to take a slight tangent here because I've just had a thought. Oof. If, if, I know, right? Wild. <laughs> if Balogun's loan at Ram, like as it's happening now, Rams, yeah. ha- happened, no, Rams, is that is oh. how it pronounces? Oh, I thought you said Ram. 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 Uh, yeah, Ram. Am I, Ram. I, I'm, pronoun- Ram. I'm pronouncing it completely wrong. You know what? I think you made a mistake earlier and I corrected you, but then you actually said it I right this time. It. And right. I corrected you again, but you actually said so, it right. So it's, it's Ram. Start Ram. Yeah. Start Ram. Right. <laughs> We're keeping this in. If Balogun's loan at Rome happened that last year, like in exactly the same way, do we sign Jesus? I think we do sign Jesus. Uh but I'm not I'm not a hundred percent on it. Um I mean I guess you can also Yeah, I think we sign I still think we sign Jesus, especially because Jesus was a really good deal available, offers a lot of things. Yeah. It's it's whether maybe we keep Eddie. Actually, to be honest, last season, which I guess brings it back to, to this question of Balagon versus Inkecha, who do we keep? And you've kind of suggested it's Balagon for you. For, for me, yeah. I, I think I've been thinking that like this time last year, like if you'd asked me your Balagon or, or Inkecha, who do we keep? If you asked me January 2021, what do we do? My answer is release Inkecha at the end of the season and bring in Balagon as a squad player. Yeah. So for me, it's really like having to be in a room with your two favorite sons and then having to tell one mm. of them that you're going to shoot them in the head <laughs> and tell them that before you do, because I love both of these players so much. But I think Balagan is is it for me too. Um, I also think he can develop. At youth level, he's showing that ability to drop deep to be a really complete striker. Now he's showing this off-the-shoulder ability that I think he never really had to at youth level. Um, at... I think his movements maybe still could be a bit better with double movement and stuff like that. But in terms of the timing, in terms of the interpretation of when, and then we always know about like his ability to finish and find shots has always been a big part of his game. Um, I think that there's higher, like a higher ceiling there as much as Eddie keeps defying what we, the ceiling that we put on him um, and a better fit for the system. I don't think either striker is really that great playing out wide, which is a big part of what's important about this Arsenal side, at least at the moment. But Balogun is better at it than Eddie is. So there are a couple... And he's younger. Um, So there are... I think those are the reasons that I would choose Balogun. But here's an interesting thing, and I think we we should move on from this question because we have a couple others soon. But it's also a question of... Like, even if either is in the in the plans long term... Because one thing about Arteta is he's been looking for this target man type of striker for a while now. I mean, he's, we've been linked to Vlahovic, everyone knows about whether he's like the sort of hold-up type or just, you know, a big body. But Arteta does seem to like this. Now we're be- being linked with Calvert-Lewin again, someone who we were linked with for a while. There were the Skamacha links, right? Um, who else is there? Osimhen links are here. I think Osimhen is just great and everyone's getting linked to them. I don't know how real our links are but what does seem to be real is that Arteta does want that sort of big focal point central forward so I disagree tactically I think it makes sense okay Um, okay yeah 
It makes sense, yeah. But I disagree. I I think... I, I To be fair, you're more plugged in than I am to the rumour wheel, the rumour mill. But I haven't... I, I haven't heard any real striker rumours since the summer. Um, if there's been Osherman rumours about him coming to Arsenal, I think they're bollocks. Surely, surely they're bollocks. I don't think they're that real. I don't think they're that real. But I mean, I'm just adding the the Calvert-Lewin ones seem to have a lot of weight in them. The Vlahovic ones were, had huge weight in them. It does. Oh yeah, um, but that was, that was like a year ago links, over a year ago now. The Scamacha the Scamacha interest also seemed pretty real. No, the Vlahovic. Okay, yeah, they they were real from a year ago, but it's still a focal point centre forward. Also. Reports have always been, you know, the athletic and stuff have always kind of reported that Arteta has had this idea of a target man. And it makes sense tactically because they offer a lot. One of the best ways to kind of change up an attack is just changing that center forward. And if you have a big one, like a big sort of focal point center forward, it changes the dynamic completely from someone who we spoke about how good Jesus can be, but he's still much more inclined to dropping and stuff than holding and pinning the lines. And it's, it just offers new solutions to breaking down teams. And I think Arteta is a big fan of having that, as well with having good players who can play in crosses and stuff that we do have, especially from the half spaces a bit deeper. I think there's a lot of reason to think that these links have real legs because Arteta does want that sort of striker. Um, Yeah, and that's, that's, that's the question. I mean, is... <laughs> Is Arteta actually looking for someone who's a bit different to Balogun and Nketiah? And Trossard and, and Gabby? So our next question comes from Tom. And Tom says, Do you think there's any way we move away from Partey in the summer? Injury and other reasons to do so, maybe we'll place with Rice and one other? Brackets, Lavia, plus. Uh, and I want to tackle this at the same time, or like alongside the question that we got from Seb, which was, with Rice likely to come in the summer, what role do we see him take up? Replacing number five with him being sold due to unreliability, injury-wise, and keep Jorginho as backup? Or will he be seen as more of an option for both six and eight with the rest of the personnel remaining? Obviously, what's happened here is Tom has not assumed that we're getting Rice, Seb has assumed that we're getting rice. Do you assume we're getting rice? I think he's the player I'm most confident will be part of Arsenal next season. Personally, I'm most confident uh, um, Gabby Jesus will be part of Arsenal next season, but you do you, man. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think we move away from Partey in the summer? I kind of don't think away if like that we're going to sell him or anything like that to be honest but maybe I wouldn't be surprised if we do I know that's not a very interesting answer but that's kind of where I stand I think he probably is with us in the summer unfortunately until next season um but I can see him starting to get phased out of the team because I do think Rice comes in what that obviously also means is that we have Jorginho so it makes for an interesting mix of players. I remember when we spoke about the state of our midfield episode, right? Mm-hmm. With um, Shoelen. Shoelen suggested Rice as a six, which obviously we've spoken about before. There are reasons that Rice will never be my favorite type of six um, because I really do like those players who are just personal preference, but also how I like the game to be played really good in those deep areas in terms of 
building up being creative and something that's why I really love watching Jorginho. He's great at that. Um, and he's also shown me through watching Jorginho just how good we can be in possession when we have a six like that. But obviously, Partey is primarily in the team for how good he is at just sweeping up defensive transitions. And that's something Rice is even better at, I'd say. Maybe maybe the best in the world at. Um, you know, particularly as that like lone pivot type of player. So there is that sense that I think he could really be that six to replace Partey because I think it is a more important... Um, it's more important what he does off against the ball than on the ball for Arteta. But I suggested even in that same pod that I could really see him as just being this like uber Xhaka in the Xhaka role, right? Like this wrecking ball sort of eight. Because as weak as Rice can be on the turn, Xhaka is also quite weak on the turn. Once you get both of them the right way, Xhaka is very good with his delivery. Rice is just very dominant with his ability to carry ball from from wherever. Basically, as soon as he's facing the right way, he can carry the fo- the ball forward completely, right? And I think that ability on the dribble, I think he's a good dribbler um, and a ball, good ball carrier is something he would offer a lot more than Xhaka and makes up for maybe a little bit more of a lack in terms of that final ball delivery. But then also, I think that mobility... That being a big body in the box, big body running behind the lines or behind his man from deep would be, it would work. And I can see him kind of being an option for both until maybe we phase out Partey permanently or Jorginho. I just had a thought, and this is completely off the cuff, but imagine that fourth goal against Leeds, like that Odegaard dinked ball over, but instead of Xhaka, it's Rice, who's taller. And it happens, like, ten times a season. Like, that's all I can think <laughs> of when you think... When, when, when you say, like, Rice is an eight. Just him arriving at the back post. But this boom, is but this boom, is what boom. I mean, though. Like, I, I, my, my idea of what we need in that eight position changes all the time. I think one of the things we spoke about on that pod is compactness is really important for any Arteta player. Shoelin has, like, put that word into my vocabulary when I speak about midfielders now, because I really agree with that idea. But other than that, there's so much, so many different sort of ways in which you can use that left sentiment role that still makes sense. And I think Rice would be like an upgrade on Jaka in that role, um, in the aggregate for sure. Um, and could be, you know, kind of move between that and being, being the six. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I don't know if we move away from Partey in the summer. I wouldn't be surprised if we do. Um, I think it would be a really good time to sell Partey, to be honest. It would be something I would be looking to do if we get Rice in. I would really like to be in a position as a club where we don't need Thomas Partey anymore. For lots of reasons. Yes. I agree. Just gonna leave leave that sentence out in the ether <laughs> and move on. Uh, because I want to address the brackets that Tom put on his question. Lavia plus. Yes. Yeah. For me, I love Lavia. I think he's probably my one of my favorite players. Maybe as my favorite Premier League player that doesn't play for Arsenal right now. Um, I watch Southampton matches just to watch him. And he's great. I think what he has is... And I think we've spoken about him before and I've said the same stuff, but let me do it, right? When Jorginho came into the team, I already wanted Lavia before that. Jorginho showed me so much of what he can do, what we can do with a six that is 
really intelligent position. And I don't just mean picking the passes and stuff like that or or executing that like metronomic sort of game that I don't think Partey's ever really had. But also knowing when to make themselves available because, you know, when you make yourself available, it's not always the best thing. Sometimes you want to allow yourself to be marked out and then knowing when to arrive into space. I think Jorginho is a pro at that and on another level, I have a big appreciation for, for Jorginho there. But Lavia already really has that in his game and he's 19 years old. Then on top of that, he's actually, you know, he's he's great receiving under pressure, carrying out of pressure. Um, he's much better with his back to goal than someone like Rice is. Um, he's similar to Partey, actually. I think Partey's better. Um, but but Lavia also has that. Then he has that mobility. In, in many ways, he's like the combination of the stuff I really like about Jorginho and the stuff I really like about players like Partey and, to a lesser degree, Rice. Um, and that just seems like the perfect player for us. And he's 19 and he's this mature. He's this good. I think he could play for Champions and he's on a Sam- And he's on a Southampton side that uh, might be going down. Like, if, yes. if Southampton go down, picking up Lavia is such an unbelievable no-brainer that I would almost be more surprised if we did do it. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> like, because the, 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 the obvious option that us as, like armchair experts point out and go him he's the one sign him never happens so i'd be so surprised <laughs> in, a, in a certain way if we got lavia but also please bring bring yeah so i would i would love lavia i mean my my ideal i think is i don't think we get rice and lavia so i'm not expecting lavia i know we've been linked with him but i think it's very much as a backup option if we don't get rice um but obviously the ideal for me, would be getting... I would want Lavia um, and maybe Rice as well. I think that would make us really good. And then I don't know what we do with Partey on Jorginho. I think keeping Jorginho, getting rid of Partey, I think it would make sense. It's a good time to sell Partey to... Uh, w- what they brought up um, is the injury issues, and that obviously has been something that yeah. we've struggled with. Um, and now with Champions League coming up, can he be relied on to play that regularly? I'm not so sure. Um, to be fair, Lavia has also had his own injury issues, which is a little bit of a worry um, in his first proper season of professional football. Um, but yeah, that's where I that's where I stand on Lavia and how much I love him. And yeah, I, I agree, Tom. If I'm the Arsenal manager <laughs> on Football Manager, then I'm then I'm getting rid of Jorginho and Partey and bringing in Rice and Lavia, but that's not real life, so that's probably can, not. Can I happen. say you know that I like I've been very busy this year, so I've decided not to buy FM. But sometimes I think about buying FM. I'm like, so that I can buy guys like Roman <laughs> and Lavia for the first. Just see how it goes. Just enjoy. As, as sad as that sounds, okay, right. Let's move on. <laughs> now we're on to the second question from Tom. Uh, Tom asked two questions, and they were both good, so we put them in. Um, what do we do? What would you do with Tomiyasu next season? Keep him as a high end backup in multiple positions, or something else? Um, my personal answer is just yes. <laughs> Keep him as a high end backup. Yeah. Like I, I see no. Tomiyasu is perfectly competent as a right back and as a centre back, if need be. And I see no reason and why... And a left-back. And a left-back, of course. Um, yeah, he, he's a perfectly competent fullback at Champions League level. But here, here's why I think 
it's a reasonable question to ask because I think we are going to go back in for Fresnader. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if he if he's immediately going to come into the squad. I think the other point is maybe Tomiyasu hasn't been that great this season as he was last season. Mm. Um, I think that's fair to say. He had he had some really good runs of form. He had that game against Liverpool. I'm very sad that we're missing him for the the Anfield game because uh, I think he probably would have started again. But I think it's a reasonable question. I still think we stick with him. I have a feeling that he never really overcame the injuries from last season. Um, and that's maybe why he's looked a little bit off with this season, potentially. Obviously, now he's picked up another quite serious injury. And he's coming back. They're hoping for him to come back by preseason, which... It'll be nice. We'll be worrying. Yeah, but it'll be it'll be sad if he isn't back in time for preseason, because then he's missing a preseason and it's... It's a slow integ- reintegration process. But for that reason, regardless, I don't think we're selling him. Nick. I think he's going to be here next mm-hmm. season. And I think he will be used as the high-end backup. What I'm wondering is, with Tierney leaving, it looks like Tierney really could be leaving. And Tierney, yeah, Towers is obviously not as, as clued in. <laughs> there was a I, I've been on holiday the last going. couple of weeks. I've <laughs> not been paying attention to the news as much as I should be. There, there are lots of rumors that Tierney is moving on to to look for first team football, which makes sense for the type yeah. of character that he is. Um, is I wonder if Tommy Yossi becomes like the the backup left back for next season if we bring Fresneda in, because I wouldn't really be that surprised. No. Um, yeah, especially when you think of like what we get from Zinchenko in terms of moving in to become that second man in the three two shape, mm-hmm. like. Yeah, having a right-footed left back to just inverts—that's fine. People do that all the time. Yeah, I think I think I I wouldn't be surprised if that's sort of a a season-long solution. I don't think it's something that we plan for long term, but I think depending on on who's leaving and who comes in, if we do get Fresneda, who we are going in for, I think um, at least it still sounds like we are. Then I can see Tommy Asu being like the left back for the season. Um, but still often could see him playing right back and centre back or wherever he needs to play. I think we can consider that one answered and move on to the next one. And this one is taking a bit of a wider lens from Ben. What is a realistic expectation for Arsenal next season, given how this one is panning out? I think, depending on what we do in the summer, I really do believe that... This is hard to say. I think we can still challenge for the title properly next season. And I think we can... I think next season is going to be... Aside from the Invincibles that really didn't do it when they should have. This is our best chance at winning the Champions League in like forever. Really, I think we're well set up for it. I think we've got a really good coach tactically. Arteta's obviously... we've. You know, one of the, maybe the question marks still, at least from a very, like, shallow level of analysis, is that we've not actually done that well in in European knockout competitions, or he hasn't done that well so far. I mean, we can even go back to his first ever game as a coach. His only game as a coach for a Champions League game was against Lyon, actually, and we won because Pep wasn't there. <laughs> um, not to put my other side in for a moment, but yeah. Oh, did we win? I think we might have drawn. But... Uh, for context, Alex is a Lyon fan. Arsenal weren't playing Lyon, and Arsenal weren't managed by Pep. 
Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it was Leon against Manchester City back when Arteta was assistant manager. Yeah. That, that really probably made no sense. My apologies. Um, it took me a couple of seconds yeah, to I think on I what was th- going on, but we got there. I, th- I think a realistic expectation is that in terms of the top-end players that we have and who I think are still getting better, and in terms of the coach that we have, who I think is still getting better, I think... And, and yeah, tactically comes from the coach, of course. And I think maybe the recruitment, there's a lot of really things that are aligned well with the squad. The atmosphere and all of that, I think we really can do it. Does depend, I think, on um, reinforcements in the summer, especially making the squad maybe a bit deeper. You know, where I think the ideal that Arteta wants to get to is very much something he's probably learned from Pep, who more than any other coaches had a team where you're not really sure of who the starting 11 or the best 11 is because it can rotate on game by game, right? Um, obviously, you'll get your guys like De Bruyne who play every game. We'll have guys like Saka and maybe Odegaard who do that, right? Um, but like a lot of rotation of guys who are like equal pieces, but all the best of the best, I think. Obviously, we don't achieve that in one summer. As Arteta's kind of suggested, we're like still phase three of his idea of phase five, whatever that means, right? Um, but I think bringing in really top-end players will make that possible. I know people have kind of seen less of a need for an elite wide forward. I still think we want one, Rafael, or that I want one at least for us. Rafael Leal, Musa Diaby, Karo Matama are guys I'm looking at, especially on the left. Because I still do think we need that explosive wide player. Um, I'd rather have three than just the two we have currently. But I think if we get that, if we get guys like Rice, um, we can. I think we can. I think there's also still improvement in the squad, and which I do think we need to improve. So that's my expectation for next season. Um, obviously, Pep could come back harder and stronger and faster as he generally does. Um, I think United will be better next season. But I think we always think that next season all the teams are going to be better and then some fuck up. Hopefully it's not us. Mm. So, so yeah, that's my expectation. I do think we're in a really good position to fight for the title again. Um, yeah, and also to fight to go with the proper with the right reinforcements to go deep in the Champions League. So, I think, I think next season is make or break in terms of is this going to be is this Arsenal side going to be the next great side in the Premier yeah. League? Like, are we going to be seeing Arsenal challenging for the title regularly over the next five, six years? Or have we just had one amazing season and we're going back to being a Champions League battler? I do not think the latter is... I, I do not expect the latter, and I will be very disappointed if it is the latter... But I think it's really important that we are at least top three next year. And I say top three, not top two, because I think it's a very reasonable expectation that one of the four other teams in the big six just become another elite European side next season, the same way that we just became an elite European side this season. Um, So I I say top three, not top two, not like we will win the league. For that reason. One one thing I really want from us, and I think this all the time, is that 
I want three Premier League titles. Like I'm obviously I'm not expect I'm not thinking where there's a minimal expectation or anything. I think one if we get one title, I'll be over the moon and I'll always have fond memories. But I think we can, and I really want us to get three Premier League titles out of out of this team. Um, and I hope we do. That's sort of what I have in my mind. I don't know if it's you know too unrealistic or that. that I that is best case scenario dream level. It, no, no, like for me. Well, that's yeah. Um, for me, that's yeah. best case scenario as well. That is still within the realm of possibility. Yeah. The other reason for it is, I think, within three, and I'm not saying three in a row. I'm saying maybe three in the next in the, in a five year cycle or something like that. Like being dominant over a period. Um, but the other reason for it is, I think it's going to become so hard. Like when you know the. They're going to be more oil money clubs, yeah. state-owned clubs, whatever you want to call. United is potentially going to be bought. Newcastle are going to become really, basically, inevitable at some point. Even Chelsea, I think, when you spend that much money, you kind of luck into it at some point, and they're gonna they're gonna be really good. Like things don't look. I don't want to. I don't like being doom and gloom about it, but things are going to get really tough, and this is a really good period for us to take advantage before that happens. Yeah. That's fair. I think I don't really want to look too far beyond next season, but as I said, yeah, I, I said right at the start, like I think next season's make or break for like do we become in the next dynasty? And I think we can, and really not should, but I think we can, like definitely become that next dynasty. I think when you look at how young the squad is, when you look at like the energy that's around the place, I think there's there's real sustain. There's real sustainability around this United side. What the fuck am I saying? This United there, side. There's real sustainability this around this side. Arsenal side. God, I'm tired. And I was thinking of the clubs, the other clubs that could challenge us. Yeah, you know what? I should get off the pod right now. Yeah, though. fair enough. But um, I agree. Um, so, I, think, I think to answer Ben's I, question is that we both clearly mm, think we're going to be really yeah, good so next season. To take realistic expectation as minimum expectation where we, we wouldn't be disappointed... I wouldn't be disappointed if we came third in a tight three-horse title race and we had a deep, say, quarter or semi-final Champions, semi-final Champions League run. Like, mm-hmm. so, like, if, if we went out in the quarters to Real Madrid, because Real Madrid, Real Madrid did, for example, and then came third three points behind the winning team in the league, I wouldn't be mad. Even if that sounds that. like that. it would be not great. That's my minimum expectation. Yeah, ultimately, with regards to where we end up in the Champions League, I think it is it's a, a crap competition shoot. with a lot of variance. Yeah, so so it, it kind of depends on the on the context. But I would I do want us to obviously remain a Champions League level team um, in terms of qualifying from the Premier League, of course. We already are a Champions League level team. Um, yeah, I, I think... But yeah, I think we've answered the question. In a very roundabout, discussing the future way. We have indeed. But and yeah. predicting the more immediate future, Arjit asks, line up for Liverpool away. And Sav's... Well, another question from Sav was, Saliva, no spine, what do we do? Uh, and for me, the answer is be very, very careful so we don't break him for future seasons. Um, so <laughs> for me, the lineup for Liverpool away is the same lineup that we put out 
against Leeds, except without Trossard, with Saka. So that would be Ramsdale, Zinchenko, Gabriel, Holding, White, Partey, Xhaka, Erdegaard, Martinelli, Jesus, Saka. Which I think is the best lineup we can field at this time without risking breaking Saliba. Yeah, I basically agree. Um, Saliba's already, according to reports that came out today, he's not going to be fit. It sounds like he could, well, some speculations that he's probably out for the yeah. month. Get the, com- which is a bit get the comedically large injections needle and just stick it in his back. Yeah. There we go. Full <laughs> of your drugs. Speaking of FM, I would definitely at this point be spamming <laughs> that. We'll be injured for the next three to four months, but gets through the next game. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> we need that title. Um, but but yeah, I think lineup for Liverpool away, I agree it's the same. I do have worries again about holding, but I don't think we have much other choice. I guess one of the more out there solutions would be Partey right back, white centre back and Jorginho in the DM role. Yeah. But I don't really think that I mean no, I'm just yeah. I'm just So I I, I, I know you just spitballing. I, I I think that would be bad because I think taking taking Partey out from the DM position is arguably worse for our ability to defend transitions than putting in holding for Saliba. Yeah, I was I was gonna get there. Um I was just spitballing. But yeah, I agree. Um I don't think we... Maybe it's more interesting up front, but I think we're both very much in the Gabby J's back, so Gabby J's back. Mm. I would have Trossard, to be honest, um, benched. But having said that, I think it'd be such a nice option coming off the bench, um, especially if things aren't working mm. with either Martinelli, I think Saka will be fine, maybe Gabby J you can move around. Um, Gabby J will come off, of course, probably around 60 minutes. Yeah. As he did before, but yeah, I think I think it's pretty much the same lineup. Yeah, one thing I think we're really going to need against Liverpool is Martinelli to be on it from minute one. Uh, in the Leeds game, at least to my eye, he was very last season Martinelli for forty-five minutes. Like you know that shutters down, heads down dribble that he does that he we've critiqued before. Um, like he was doing that a few times in the first half. And you saw immediately that Arteta, um, not to presume what had gone on in the dressing room, but it looked like Arteta had told him to snap out of it over half time because within two minutes of the restart, he'd picked his head up and put in a beautiful cross to assist White for our second goal. But we cannot afford for Martinelli to have 45 minutes where he's not affecting the game in a great way. Um, we, well, of course, we can't really afford to have that from anyone away at Anfield, but. It's yeah, a, it's an area where we can exploit a lot. Exactly, because that that's where Trent Alexander-Arnold's going to be. We need. <laughs> let, let's not be blunt about Don't this. We that. need to fuck him up. We need to fuck him up yeah. real good. Like the best way for us to win this game is for Martinelli to have Trent on toast for ninety minutes. <laughs> the way you said that reminded me of when Graham Potter said winning the fucking Champions League, and he got fired soon after that. So. <laughs> oh no, man! Not to say anything about that. It's all right. We'll bring we'll bring Seb back in. I'll get take get taken around the shed and shot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree. Um, and I think uh, it's obviously not only Trent. Although I feel like people either only blame Trent or completely absolve him. I think he, he's definitely not that great defensively this season, at least. 
but also Liverpool have a whole problem. And I think we exploited them there the first time we played them. Anfield's completely different. It's going to be a very tough match. Liverpool have always messed us up at Anfield for as long as I can remember. Well, for a very long time. At least it feels like a decade by now that they've done. So it's a big match for us psychologically as well because it's where... In the Premier League, Arteta's Arsenal has had some of our most difficult games. Um, even when we've played well and then suddenly getting overcome. So I think there's a lot psychologically there. Mm, that's the thing. Like, so we need to go. Yeah. If we go there and we're not scared, we win. If we let. You think? Like, yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I think if we play to our like best level this season. Liverpool have been bad, and Liverpool, where I think we have the ability to show that side of Liverpool, even at Anfield, if we play to our level. If we let the occasion get to us, then that's where it becomes hard, because I think that's what happened to Man United. Like, they, like, for 45 minutes or so, it was a relatively even game, and then Liverpool got a couple chances, and the floodgates opened, and United collapsed. We cannot. We can't let anything even close to that happen. That I don't. I don't. I, I, that. Neither do no, I. Like, I don't think we're going to go there and get battered seven nil. But you know what I mean, right? Like we need to yes. keep on top of things in that sense. I agree. I agree. One last thing I'll say is that it's going to be a big game for Zinchenko defensively. Yeah, he's going to have. He's going to have to deal with Salah. With Salah, and I think Salah will. Is the type of player, the way Salah plays, that will put Zinchenko in defensive positions or situations that we've seen Zinchenko struggle with. Um, I mean, if Tommy was fit, speaking of lineup for the Liverpool, I definitely would have said Tommy start this game. Um, but obviously, he's not. We're going to. I don't foresee us starting Tierney. I guess that's a discussion, but I don't see it happening. Aye. I think we will play. Zinchenko, um, but it'll be a big game for Zinchenko. So I also wouldn't be totally unhappy with Tierney starting, though I don't expect it to happen. That's fair enough. And we'll leave it there because we've been talking for ages. And I want to ask you a question from my trivia book. Oh, um, uh, yes. <laughs> I, had a, I had a really hard one for Seb two weeks ago. So I'm trying to find a similarly ridiculously difficult one. Um... Which of these captains won the Premier League and FA Cup double at Arsenal? A. Patrick Vieira, B. Tony Adams, C. Steve Bold, or D. Frank McClintock? Wait, so only one of them won a Premier League and FA Cup double? I assume so from the way the question was phrased. Let me just check. Yes. Wow, Tony Adams, I think. Correct! That's boring. Anyway, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week after maybe watching the Liverpool game. We'll see how time treats us. Um, we will see you there. It'll be fine. Uh, thank you, Alex, for joining me as ever. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely been a pleasure. Good to be back. This is our first time. Seb has been 
subbed in for one or the other over the last two pods. Yeah, so it's been like so, three weeks since we recorded together, so it's good good to be back, good has. to get the ball rolling good again. Good to see you again. Yeah, it's been nice. Yeah. Of course, you can find Alex on Twitter at AlexFRCO. You can find me on Twitter at AlexTowels. You can find the podcast on Twitter at PotshotPod if you want to take part in these Q&A sessions. Now make sure you follow us on Twitter because that's where we will be publicising it. You can find our music. Well, you can find the man who makes our music, James Blake, on all good music platforms. He's on them at JWBlake. I think that's it. I can't remember any other things I have to say. We will see you after the Liverpool game. Cheers.